Hi, and welcome to Data Futurology. My name is Felipe Flores. I am your host. And today we are going to listen to a webinar I recently did with Stuart Garland from Blink Recruitment. Over the past, well, couple of years, but mostly since the start of COVID, myself and obviously many other leaders have been watching what's been happening, unfolding in the data science job market. And as a result, we've been getting a lot of questions about, you know, what does the market look like out there in the moment? How to get a job? There has been areas where a lot of people were getting laid off and there's other areas that were growing in terms of data science jobs as a result of COVID. So to answer all the questions, the job-related questions in data science within this environment, Stuart and I did a live webinar where we took questions from the audience around this topic. So if you're interested in finding a job, hearing what's happening with the job market, what the processes are and what companies look for and where to focus on for a job in this market and how to stand out. If you're keen to hear about all that, then you will like this webinar. Here's the episode with Stuart Garland. All right. So welcome, welcome everyone to a Data Science Melbourne event. Today's event is Navigating the COVID-19 Landscape. Thanks so much for everyone being here. Right now, we have 120 people joining in, so numbers quickly growing. And today, we're going to discuss, obviously, really relevant topic for a lot of people, especially as the tides have changed so quickly over the past couple of months with COVID-19. It's meant that a lot of big changes in the data science market. It's unfortunately put some people out of a job that are looking for jobs, but also it's created a lot of opportunity, which we're, we're looking to discuss. Besides the changing landscape, there's a lot that we'll be discussing today in how to stand out in the job market, how to have a good career in data science, what you need to do in order to get a job now that it's becoming more and more competitive competitive overall. And as I mentioned, we will be discussing the impacts of COVID-19 as well. My name is Felipe Flores, and I am one of the organizers of Data Science Melbourne Meetup Group. We are currently at 145 attendees, which is fantastic. And I wanted to take a minute to thank our sponsors. So on the slide that you have in front of you, you can hopefully see our sponsors, which include the universities, which we have here in, in order. So Melbourne, Latrobe, Monash, RMIT, longtime sponsors. We're really thankful. Additionally, we got companies like ANZ, Growing Data, Rubik's Consulting, a really interesting company. They have been with Data Science Melbourne from the beginning. We got Belong, KPMG, Analytics in Motion, and Data Futurology, which is the podcast that I run. Hopefully, you guys uh, listen to Data Futurology. And um, also, obviously, being a podcast, also a free resource. In Data Futurology, I interview experts in data science that are either executives or people that are have been in the field a long time. Generally, it's people with over a decade of experience. And the idea is to get the mental models that these experts have developed in their heads in order to rise up the ranks or rise in their area of research or profession. We want to understand how is it that what breakthroughs did they have that led them to where they got? And the idea is to share those learnings with everyone. So we discuss a lot about their origin stories and the successes and the failures that they had on getting to where they are today. And along the way, obviously, we discuss the applications and possibilities and use cases of machine learning and artificial intelligence, which is always really interesting and really enlightening. If you listen to 
yesterday's episode. It was with the Chief Technology and Innovation Officer from NASA. NASA obviously being a huge organization. There's a part called the Jet Propulsion Lab or JPL. And uh, Chris Matman, who's the guest, he's the Chief Technology and Innovation Officer for JPL. And he told us he wrote a book on deep learning because he's um, not busy enough. So yeah, he wrote the second edition of a book in deep learning. He didn't write the first edition, but went on to write the second one. And he told us about that journey and also how they're using deep learning in NASA and how having online learning systems is important when you have low bandwidth back to earth and low hardware. So he's talking us, telling us about how that's used on the Mars rover, which is crazy. So definitely check it out. And um, now we're at 185 participants in this webinar. Thank you so much for coming on board. One last thing that I should mention, and then I'll bring you back to this slide. It is that if you are recruiting, looking for people, we got a recommendation from Phil Briley, who's one of the other organizers and probably the main organizer of the group. Him and you all started and have been building this community for us for almost six years now. I've only been helping for the last you know, year and a half or so. So they did all the hard work and the heavy lifting. So from Phil, we got this message that if you are recruiting, if you got jobs, feel free to use the message boards for the meetup group and everyone will be alerted that the job is out there and there's some data science related jobs in there at the moment. And we are really thankful to both Phil and Yuval for creating this community, which started with a presentation by Jeremy Howard, was has been in the field for a long time. He was one of the first Kaggle grandmasters. He was involved in Kaggle from the start. And Phil Briley, I don't know if many people know, but Phil Briley introduced Anthony Goldblum, who is a founder of Kaggle, introduced him to Jeremy Howard. They're both from Melbourne, met in Melbourne through Phil before he started the community. And when Jeremy came back to Melbourne, they kicked off Data Science Melbourne with a presentation from him. And now, obviously, he's in Silicon Valley and super successful and has fast AI for people that are wanting to learn uh, deep learning. And the idea is to reduce reduce the barriers to entry for deep learning. And at the moment, if you've been coding in Python for over a year, you can access those courses really well. Great. Without any further ado, we might get started on the discussion. And before I introduce Stu, I'll remind us that we will open for questions during the session. So start either submitting your questions or start thinking about your questions, write them down. We are going to open up for live questions. And ahead of that, we're going to be discussing the recruitment and the current market in data science. So how is it that you can stand out in the job process? What does the recruitment look like? What you need to do in order to be picked, etc. So we're going to talk about the recruitment process in the current market. We're, talking, we're going to talk about having a good career in data science. What does that mean? What type of things do you need to think about? What type of skill set, etc. So how to have a good career in data science. And we're going to discuss the impacts of COVID-19 and the future of data science. And for that, I am joined by Stuart Gartland, who is from Blink Recruitment. Mate, I am very excited to be doing this webinar with you. Stuart and I have known each other a long time and um, definitely good friends. And we've been looking forward to doing this together. How are you going, man? Very good, thank you. And yeah, thanks for having me. It's pretty exciting. So yeah, keen to get stuck in, but uh, it's uh, great to be part of the Data Science Meetup Group and Data Futurology and, and all the other sponsors. And uh, yeah, hopefully I can speak some sense of uh, positivity in what's going on and give a few tips and uh, have some useful things for you guys. 
Definitely, man. Definitely. So with, I've worked, I've known Stuart for a long time. I've worked with him for a long time. He placed me in my role as uh, head of data science at ANZ, which I did for about four years. That was in, in working with Stu. So he's not only a great recruiter, but he's also extremely well connected and very knowledgeable in the space, very knowledgeable in terms of how you can get a job, what you need to be successful, but also, and more from a hiring manager perspective, he really helps you think about how to structure your team and what are the gaps and how you can put different puzzles pieces together in order to have a really high-performing team. So I know people will be thinking about that as well. And I thought they are really keen to discuss that today as well. And I see some questions from the audience starting to come through, which is awesome. And I made it so everyone can see the questions being submitted and you can upvote them. So you can give it a thumbs up if you're interested in finding out the answer to that specific question. And while the questions come in, Stuart and I will have a discussion around those items. So we'll start with the recruitment and the current market. So so for people looking to start their career in data science or people that are looking to get a job in data science in general, what are some of the things that you're seeing, the challenges that you're seeing on your side as to, and obviously throughout your career, what are the things that people are thinking about and maybe not thinking about? And we might um, kick off the discussion from there. Yeah, absolutely. I, th I think considering the conditions we're in, I think there are two different areas to cover here. I think there's something that candidates do or have been doing consistently in the 14 years that I've been doing analytics of data science recruitment. And I think there are things to be conscious of in the current climate as well. I think the first thing that I want to cover off is how do you think about when you suddenly decide that actually I either want a new role or I'm looking for my first role. I think that the point at that point, you need to think strategically about how you're going to go about finding that role. I think what people tend to do and with the introduction of things like LinkedIn and Seagull, those sort of things, I think that responsibility has been taken away from candidates. And what they do is they'll put alerts up, anything that has the word data in it, and they will send out 10, 20 applications every day. They'll send their CV to every single recruiter, every role that they've advertised for. And there'll be this kind of consistent flow, the idea that volume somehow will replace quality. And I think that always be careful about that for a couple of reasons. One is that internal recruiters notice multiple applications, so do recruiters, and it doesn't do anything for the value of your CV. You've got to think of your experience in your CV as a currency, as value. And if you constantly put that out there, you're diminishing that value time and time again. So rather than just allowing the market to dictate to you what opportunities are out there, really think about what you want to be doing. The term data science, as we all know, is very generic and can mean lots of different things to lots of different companies and industries. Your experience, the academic qualifications you have, the thesis that you've studied, your general interests are all going to differ from candidate to candidate. So really think about the industries that you want to apply for, the type of company size you want to work for and actually come up with a plan about how you might target the first half a dozen companies, the first 12 companies, and take it in a staggered approach. I think not only does that limit your workload, it will be a lot more work up front, obviously, to have to think about these things. It will, I suppose, minimize the effort in the long term as well. I agree, mate. And I know that I've done that in the past. Like I've made the mistake that you mentioned where I've prepared a CV that then I've sent and I've used in hundreds of applications when looking for a job. It's definitely not strategic. It's not guided. And it doesn't really work. 
So what I found during that process myself and then speaking with others is that sometimes it's hard to pick. It's hard to know what to aim for. In that side, I find that we're, we're very guided by the media and the success stories are, that are out there. So if people start to think about, oh, where would I like to work as a data scientist? They might say, oh, I need to work in global stage. It has to be Facebook or Google, basically, or Uber. And then at a local stage, it might be some tech startups or Atlassian or some places like that. So how do you think people could be more strategic about their choices of company and roles? And how, maybe as a lead on to that, how can people understand what's out there? What companies are out there? Who's doing cool stuff, either as a, as a leader or as an organization? How to feed the information in so people can make an informed decision when they go to apply? Yeah, absolutely. That's a really, really good question. I think, unfortunately, the overall answer to that is kind of hard work and effort. I sound like my father, but, you know, the more work you put in, an old manager of mine used to say, you know, it's really strange. The luckier I got, the harder I work, the luckier I got. And I think that hard work is one of those things where to put that time and effort in. I agree that there's this expectation to either be working for the coolest startup or the Google or the Facebook and, and not necessarily going through your own gut instinct. I think that there are lots of avenues out there and resources that can help you. I mean, obviously, this is an incredible resource. I mean, if you take yourself and you, Val and Phil, you all have three very different opinions on the market, companies that are good, companies that aren't so good. And there are a number of senior leaders in this group that when we actually do finally get to have a beer all together, are obviously great sources of information. And it's not limited to the data science meetup group. If, for instance, if you like startups, there is the startup meetup group. There are lots of different things that will allow you to do that. If you're a part of your academic institution, you'll find a lot of the sponsors or directors or whoever in your academic institution have connections within the commercial world and can guide you. It's about unashamedly using your networks and the people that you know to help navigate that path and to actually, I suppose, put together a plan, a network, a spider diagram, whatever you want, of where these pieces sit. Ultimately, all of our personalities are different. People like working for an ANZ, people like working for an Atlassian, and they're all great places to work. But you have to have some proper soul searching in yourself about what do you need for yourself at that point in your career? And then what resources do you need to go through? So I guess it's about doing the research, doing the digging, finding a recruiter that knows something about this market. And I'm not the only one out there. There are others out there that do know what they're talking about. Align yourself with a good recruiter. Align yourself with a couple of good leaders. And I know you get this all the time, Felipe, but there are people that take the effort to reach out and have a compelling reason why they you should meet them for coffee. And you're always more than happy to give that time to these people. And now I know a number of good leaders that are doing exactly the same, are very senior people that take that time to meet with you guys and help guide you down that path. So I'd encourage you to unashamedly use your network, do your digging and find those groups, those startup groups. And then more importantly, align yourself also to the recruiters, the internal recruiters, the external recruiters. But you really do have to think about where you want to start. It takes a lot of effort. I agree completely. And I think that's an important point that you mentioned right there at the end, that there's both internal and external recruiters. Absolutely. So 
companies have people who do data science recruitment within the company. And yeah. there's also people like used to that work externally and across multiple roles and multiple companies. So important distinction for people to know. And the other one is might do a shameless plug when it comes to the research and understanding what people are working on or and or what is possible in an industry. Check out Data Futurology. So there we have the stories of leaders and we have the perspectives from their industries. So if you think that you're interested in retail, FMCG or healthcare, I saw a comment, a comment comes through before saying that somebody uh, is asking a question, you know, that recruitment in banking is going down and what's going up? Recruitment in healthcare, for example. And if healthcare is an area that you're interested in, there's good resources out there for you to start to understand what is happening in the healthcare space when it comes to data science. Obviously, data futurology is one of them. Check out the podcast, but there's, there's also many others. And when you do reach out to leaders and when you get a chance to meet with them, you're more, way more likely to get time with them and get good advice if you come prepared, if you've got done this research, as Stuart is mentioning, if you've done that for yourself and you have a bit of understanding and you're coming with specific questions or with a view instead of coming in as a blank slate to say, oh, I just, I just want to hear about your experience. That's not very compelling. But in that case, you know, you can research people with free resources like Data Futurology. And also remember as well, if you do get those meetings, there's two sides. That quite, it's one is actually trying to get that FaceTime with those leaders. But the other thing as well is that once you've got that time, just because you have that time, they're not suddenly going to pick up their phone for people they know going, hey, so-and-so is on the market or looking for a role. There is an element there of actually showing, and we'll go into this later on, but the, the, the same things you have to do for an interview or CV process, the same thing you do in these types of meetings. You have to give they, your what makes you different, what makes you interesting. And I suppose demonstrate to them that you are there because they're not going to go and recommend you to their network if their reputation is potentially going to be tarnished by that. So you've got to not only become prepared for that message, but you actually have to be prepared the whole way through as well. And to Felipe's point, not only is Data Futurology a fantastic tool for you guys to use, but if you think the sponsors of the Data Science Meetup Group are there for a reason, they're there for a reason because they either have data scientists, want data scientists, want to be connected to the data world. There are internal recruiters from those companies on this call, I hope, and they didn't just tell me they're friends of mine and they're always looking to hear from good people. People. There are internal recruiters that are like a lot of these guys. I can guarantee you any one of these companies, if you approach these companies or their internal recruiters and you said, you know, I'm on the market and this is who I am and this is what makes me different. Every single one of those people will be interested in speaking to you. It's not just an external agent that will want you. These internal recruiters are getting more and more data savvy, more and more interested in analytics recruitment. And uh, look, trust me, if they can go to the powers that be and say, hey, I found these great data people, I'm off my own back, makes them look good too. So it's a win-win situation. So definitely utilize the internal recruiter route as well, for sure. I agree completely. And I see a lot of questions coming in through the Q&A section, some through the chat. Try to put your questions through the Q&A so then other people can vote and also we can tick them off as we go through. But before we jump on those questions, I think it's a good segue to what you just mentioned in terms of like that you can be reaching out to these people. And then the question is how to stand out. So the data science market has changed a lot in the last few years and now has changed a lot with COVID-19. What are your tips for people that are looking to stand out and really get noticed as the supply of people with these skills have has continued to rise? 
Yeah, absolutely. Look, one of the things that uh, it's a really good point. I think first and foremost, there's always a debate between a CV and a cover letter. It takes about 14 years, unless it's been specifically asked for me, which is about half a dozen times. I never look at cover letters and never look at those types of documents. And the reason is, is that it really should be in your CV. People assume that they can have a generic CV and then have a couple of paragraphs on a separate document, which they can write for that role that's going to get across. Mm. Some companies will ask for cover sheets, so I don't want to diminish the idea of a cover sheet. But what I'm trying to get across here is that, unfortunately, you need to tailor your CV for the role you're applying, which goes back to you shouldn't be applying for 100 roles. The time it would take for you, I get it so many times, people saying, well, I don't have the time to tailor my CV for every role. Well, you really shouldn't be applying for that many roles. And I know that sounds counterintuitive if you're really desperate to buy a role and really keen to get into the market. But trust me, you really need to think about your CV first and foremost. I know that at least in my case, when I've been looking to hire, and for example, at the moment, I'm in a healthcare AI company, and we're looking to hire data scientists with clinical backgrounds. That's the type of data scientist that I'm looking for. And in the past, I've been in banking, and it has been similar. Whenever there's a role as a hiring manager, you get like hundreds of applications, hundreds, hundreds. And when I'm using a recruiter, like a good recruiter, like somebody like Stu, I personally really rely on their opinion because I'm working with the recruiter because I trust them and because I'm going to rely on them to save me time. So I think that your relationship with a recruiter is also really important because so say Stu and I are working on this data scientist role with clinical experience, I'm going to be telling him more about what I'm looking for and he's going to rank the people that he's spoken to that fit the criteria that I'm looking for. So your relationship with the recruiter is really important and you have to highlight your skills and not only your skills, but what you want out of your career. You should be having that conversation with the recruiters being internal or external recruiters. I think that's a really good point. It actually goes really nicely into the fact that you've got those three people that are going to look at your CV. You've got hiring managers, you've got internal recruiters, and you've got external recruiters. And the reality is there will be in all three of those categories, some people that might not actually understand the role that they're recruiting. It's not just recruiters that might not quite get it. There are lots of leaders out there that aren't technical. You can have heads of marketing, heads of operations, what have you, and they're looking for data scientists. And it could be their very first role that they're recruiting in the data space. So on all three areas, they're relying on you to give them a reason why they should be speaking to you. I get time and time again, when I put out data science app, uh, you know, jobs out, I'll get nothing but BIDW type of experience. Now, I've placed a few people that have transferred across, but what they do is they explain what they've done in their summary. They, they've taken the time to show the extra learning they've done, the extra course they've done, not just a single line in their education, but actually explain the transition that they're making. And they've tried to tailor their CV to soften the technology feel and try to make it a little bit more results-oriented or insights-led. And so it's not about hiding who you are. What it is, it's about understanding what you're applying for and shaping it. The reality is, is that uh, there's things like basic stuff where technical skills, take the fact that we might want Python as an element for that role, because that's what you're going to be using. I can't tell you how many times I found great CVs where I've had to phone up just to check to see if they've got that skill. It shouldn't be that difficult. And more importantly, 
I think there also has to be an element of self-reflection when you read these job ads. You have to read these job ads and really think, can I tailor my CV in a way that is going to be of interest? The reality is there's a study recently done that hiring manager or a recruiter, internal, external, will take on average two and a half to five seconds on any given CV. And when you think on average, a data analyst or data science job will get around 150 to 200 applications. You've got to think of the, just the manpower. Someone has to go through all those. So if you do not put what we want to see on those, we are not going to take the time to phone 200 people just in case someone may have accident, may actually have the experience we're looking for. Our responsibility across all three of those groups is to create the best environment for you to have the best chance to interview and succeed in obtaining that role. The role of the candidate is to make sure that CV gives us a reason to get in touch with you. Agree completely. And I think Stu says something really important there that you need to highlight your experience. And I've seen a few questions and we're about to open up to the live questions. So keep putting your questions in the Q&A section, keep voting for questions. We'll take them in the order that they have the most votes. But Stu said something really important there that you need to highlight your experience. And there's been a few questions when people say, well, I'm looking for my first job in data science. I don't have experience. I don't have working experience. How do I stand out? And, they, and I'll pass it over to Stu in a second. But from my perspective, the key there is that you're trying to de-risk the decision for the hiring manager. So you need to yeah. show that you can do the work. It doesn't need to be that you've come from specific companies or that you have done X or Y. You want to de-risk that decision. So that means having a portfolio with interesting projects. Ideally, that means that it's not just the, your projects that you did at university because there's heaps of people that come with those projects. Ideally, it's not only uh, cargo competitions because like heaps of people are coming with those cargo competitions. But if you can have a mix of those two and then add something personal that you're passionate about, and I've seen people apply to jobs and having like a footy tipping blog where they describe their modeling approaches and improvements on their model from week to week and data, data gathering and et cetera. And then that's helped them stand out through the process. And in that case, the footy tipping model wasn't particularly good. Like it wasn't accurate and they weren't able to make any money, but they showed their thinking process and how they're applying their learning. And I've seen people do interesting visualization getting open data, free data sets, and showing that they have the passion and the drive to do something. And if you compare somebody like that with a CV that comes and says, I want to work in data science, but I have no training, no courses, no qualification, and no portfolio, so I can't show my experience. It's an easy decision when you can see that somebody does have the expertise. They have the knowledge where they can be productive. That'll be one of the, my tips for to stand out. But how about you, to? And then after this, we'll open up to the Q&A. I think that's such a good point. And I know that you do like, you know, the passion that comes out of people and you really respond very well to, but you're not alone. And I think one of the most important things is to remember is that people aren't robots. People respond to human interaction and, and human connection. So the more that you share of yourself, the more that person is going to connect with you is as simple as that. As you said, everyone's got a Kaggle, a GitHub, those types of things. But the last, one of the last data science roles I, I placed recently, the individual literally had a degree and a master's, but 
it was a three-page CV. You think, oh, how can you do that? And it wasn't about his publications and it wasn't about his thesis. What it was, as you said, he did different forms of models based on, um, in this case, was horse racing and there was poker. And we're not suggesting here gambling in any way, shape or form, but different things he was interested in. He also looked at different retail-based stuff in regards to a side business on Amazon in regards to what was selling and what wasn't selling. So to have a little bit of a side. Anyway, my point was he had quite a few things. And so when he said, I'm genuinely passionate about their science, you go, well, I can see that. I believe that. I understand that. The idea of, I think one of the most criminal things people do is in their CV is a bold little words in their CV without taking any regard as to whether or not those words are relevant to what you've applied for. Like somehow that leaps out the page and shows that person's enthusiasm for data. It really, you have to think about very much about how you connect with that passion. One of the things I really want to point out for that to help a lot of you guys, because I know that in a lot of cases, English may not be your first language. And actually, you know, there might be a, a stress around how do I really get that out? But again, use your network, use your friends, get people to check these things. Actually physically have a conversation with someone. I always think a spoken CV is a really interesting way of doing that. Say your experience to someone, because all that really is is an interview anyway. And how do you translate that to the page? Because your spoken words, although I'm not necessarily the most eloquent person, but most of our spoken words are going to be Far more interesting when you say it out loud, even record yourself if you don't have those people and then write it down. Because when you, I know for me personally, when I start writing down a job ad or whatever, when I just have nothing to go off, it can be dull as dishwasher. But when you actually start to bring it to life and you talk to yourself about it, it can be really quite, uh, you can start realizing where all the fun bits are. Agree. I agree completely. Great. So with that, we will go to the Q&A and between Stu and I, we'll do short, sharp answers so we can get through as many of the questions as possible. And before we jump into that, I'd like to say that I got a message from one of the sponsors from Rubik's that they're looking to hire people. So trained data scientists slash engineers from at all levels. They're providing commercial training. If you want to apply, go to wearerubics.com. That's Rubik's for the next. wearerubics.com.au forward slash contact and uh, apply there for their program. Rubik's obviously the uh, one of being one of the sponsors and you get the logo in front of you as well. And the website is wearerubics.com.au forward slash contact. I'm not being paid to say this either, but I can tell you that having them on their CV will do you wonders as well. So they're a very well-respected organization. They do great work, really interesting projects. So they are fantastic organizations. So if you're interested, definitely apply. I agree. And they've been friends of the, of the meetup since the start and they've done also quite a lot for the community in Melbourne and they help create great data scientists. So I encourage anyone who's looking for a job, apply there. They're looking for a really good number of people, especially at this time. And great. All right, let's go through the Q&A. So first one, and we'll make quick answers. We'll go through them quickly. So in April, NZ paused a significant portions of their data hiring, right? Canceling some jobs. This seems to be a trend for all of banking. What industries have the most demand for data science right now? Yeah, I just want to have a quick thing on banking. I think that, yes, that pause happened. I think you'll find that in a very short period of time, that will start to be relaxed. If you think of such a large organization there, there are obviously always challenges when suddenly thousands of people are made to work remotely. So I would say that I wouldn't consider banking on the downturn. I would say that generally a pause. And I know the recruiters and a lot of the home managers at ANZ, they're all going to be pretty excited to be able to get the wheels rolling again. So, And that is only a matter of time. So they will be a big player over the next 6-12 months, in my opinion. 
any areas that are hiring at the moment? Healthcare is a big one. I bet you haven't been busier than you've ever been, um, Felipe, at the moment. Healthcare is a big one. Healthcare insurance, healthcare organizations. I mean, obviously, it's a, that's an easy one. Government as well. I mean, there's so many COVID teams popping up, doing a lot of data analysis. And the thing about government as well, they used to have a bit of a sticking point as to whether I should go government. You've got the Premier, Cabinet, and the Department of Justice, all these, companies, all these areas of the government. They're doing incredible stuff, and they have some very talented guys in there. So I definitely recommend government as well. But you also have to think about the industries that are a bit untouched, even not just by COVID. You've also got to think about the next six, 12 months when we enter a recession, which industries actually are going to, once you know all this, suddenly the dust settles and we actually feel the full force of actually what's about to happen. And they're going to be things like utilities, right? People still need to use energy. They're going to be your telcos. People still are going to have their mobile phones, internet, those types of things. Think about industries that are going to be, and no one's recession-proof, but going to continue to hire people. Now, I, I reckon telco, healthcare, utilities, and again, depending on which opinion you're on, down the track, all these industries that are shedding people like retail. Oh, and another positive would be FMCG for sure. I mean, obviously, right. I, That's what I, was I, I, I've put on five kilos. I know a lot of people have. I've never eaten so much in my life. So I definitely think FMCG is booming at the moment. But retail, hospitality, eventually these things are going to kick off again. So just remember that whether it's a U or a V in regards to how we bounce back to this, there is always going to be opportunity in those industries as well. So that's not... Great advice. I would add that when you look at an industry, it's not just one, don't lump it all in one blob. But if you think about retail, there's parts of retail that have done really well out of COVID, as you can see, obviously, like Woolies and... Correct. Bunnings, Woolies, Coles, they're having like record sales, JB Hi-Fi, record sales, and then other parts are hit quite a lot. And additionally, I would add, think about what organizations are down stream from the ones that Stu mentioned. So who's providing services or technology to the government, to healthcare, to FMCG? There's companies, and I've seen some startups that have had uh, really good products for a while, and they've had been struggling to sell to, for example, the government or some big organizations. And because now there's a really good fit for their solution in this COVID-19 world, they've been snapped up in terms of contracts. They've been getting a lot of customers very quickly now, and those are really good places. Just on that part as well, partners, consulting partners. So if you take, for instance, great example with Rubik's as well, there are going to be consultancies that are going to struggle and they're going to be consultancies that are going to do well, depending on the customers and projects that they've got. So if you've got, for instance, again, giving them free plug, but you know, if you take someone like a Rubik's who are clearly going to be recruiting, they've got the right projects. And the great thing about joining a consultancy, particularly in the earlier part of your career, is that you start to learn about this yourself. You'll be exposed to different industries. You'll not only widen your network, but you'll really figure out, A, which industries you're interested in, but also, more importantly, which ones are going to stand the test of time for data. Who's innovating? Who's really investing in data? And so, if anything, even if it's the first couple, two, three years of your career, I couldn't recommend it enough of actually, you know, going after a consultancy because if they're doing well now, that's a really good sign for them in the future as well. I agree completely. And I started my career in consulting and it allowed me to see lots of different types of problems and organizations very quickly. And I and I found that it gave me the confidence and gave me sort of the feedback that I could help 
almost like any business that I went into that had a problem around data, I found that over time I was able to help them and I got that realization from consulting, which is really good. The next question is related also to my personal experience and I'd love your views too. Is um, It says, as an international student, the number of companies willing to hire international students, both in terms of internships and workforce is limited. How do I navigate this barrier to entry? I'll just add before sending it to you. I came to Australia as an international student. I didn't speak English when I came to Australia. I had to navigate those barriers and and one of the things that I found key for me is go to the untapped market. So don't apply exclusively to the big companies. I found that I got a lot of learning, a lot of exposure, and a lot of support and experience by working with small to medium businesses. And that was really, for me personally, and I can't obviously, I can't speak for everyone, but for me personally, working with small to medium businesses allowed me to fast track my career, gave me a, a lot of experience, and it gave me the support that I needed to get the working visa and then moving into a permanent residency. It was for me all through small to medium businesses before moving into uh, bigger organizations. But Stu, your view for international students? It's very, very similar. I would say that the reality of where we're at right now is it's tough, right? I mean, I think that the market itself is condensed. So therefore, you're right to the comments that there are limited opportunities. However, all the advice we spoke about in regards to how you stand out applies to this as well. It doesn't change depending on your conditions. It's still about doing the research. It's still about connecting with these people. And it's still about being able to formulate the right sense of offering for them. So from my perspective, I think what it is, it's about the big players have big budgets, advertise everywhere, do all those things, right? So Felipe's right. They're going to get a whole heap of applications. Small to medium-sized businesses are going to be the way to go forward, but then also not necessarily going to be advertising these roles. So it's about the connections you make. Most people are open to internships and giving you that time. I mean, quite frankly, it works both ways. It's a win-win situation for a lot of companies. Don't go to recruiters about these things. Don't say to a recruiter, hey, I'm looking for an internship or I'm a student looking for part 10 hours a week because they're not going to be massively incentivized to help you because that's not what their function of their role is. The function of their role is to find permanent roles or full-time contract roles for most of these people. It's not always the case, but certainly is 90% of what they do. So just in summary, I really think that if you have to go to the source. If you don't go to the source, it's not about putting an application in. It's about going on LinkedIn or through a meetup or at a conference and going, hi, Mr. and Mrs. Blogs, you know, this is who I am. I'd love to be able to come and help out for a couple of months. Agreed. Offering that is going to help you stand out. And obviously, as as to also mentioned and we discussed before, come prepared, have a portfolio that helps you stand out and understand a bit of the lay of the land from the free resources. Great. Next question is, what salary can a person receive in data? Obviously, tough question, mate. Sorry. What salary can a person expect to receive in a data science role at different levels of experience, entry level, one year, two years, five years, etc.? There's three very quick points I want to make about that. One is there's no real, uh, there's always salary surveys out there, but I'll tell you right now, there's no such thing as market rates. There just isn't. And certainly, even if there was, it wouldn't be based on years experience. And I'm sure Felipe can contest. I'll give you a data scientist that had 18 months experience. There's so much better than someone who's got 10 years experience. It's actually about what have you done in that time? What have you achieved? And can you communicate those achievements? Can you articulate the value that your work has done? Because the ones that can really articulate that are worth so much more than the ones that can't. 
It's actually about what is my value based on X percent of your ability to engage, to communicate, to add insights. Ultimately, a data scientist should be able to show the insights of their work and enjoy that human interaction as well. It doesn't have to be in a leadership capacity, but just you and Felipe having a chat about your work. That's what we're talking about here. Agree completely. <laughs> having said um, that, the market is recorrecting as well. So there is an element of pricing going down a little bit. But I would say that salary ranges will vary from 60,000, 70,000 up to 200 plus if you are an, you know, the best data scientist in the market. And that is for an SME data scientist. But on average, if you are talking mid-range, you are talking anything from 100 to 180,000 dollars is the rough ballpark for experienced data scientists. Agreed. Agreed. And we got some comments coming in like Jen says, great advice, Stuart. This is from, Thanks, from a little bit go. Knuckles says that he agrees in terms of tailoring his CV to match the jobs has increased his hit rate. So that was also good advice. Yes. And Damien says, thanks, Stu, for pointing out the experience versus salary expectation that really helps. Great. Yes. Next question is, there's no entry-level position in the market. How can we start a career in data science as a grad? I think we partially answered that in terms of uh, do the work, as in get prepared, work your networks, reach out to people, anything and offer to help in a part-time or internship capacity. Any other thoughts, Stu? The only other thing from a graduate perspective is really think about the courses that you're doing and actually how connected is that establishment to your market as well. There are various courses out there that are very well connected and probably more so than others. So really think about what tools does the academic institution that you're working at, how can they help you? Ultimately, you've paid a lot of money to get that degree. And so you should be using everything they've got to help and assist in you finding that role. Agreed. Another comment from VJ. all absolutely valid points by Stu to stand out with, uh, with your experience and enter into a data field. Great. Which relates to the next question. I'm considering a career change into data science. I've been in digital marketing for 10 years, originally studied engineering, have some background in maths and stats. What steps do you recommend I take to make a career change into data science post-COVID-19? And a couple of follow-up questions to that one that says people with similar backgrounds or similar experience, but different backgrounds, so not engineering. What do you think people should do? Uh, we've got cameras. I saw that was the first, I think that was the very first question. So that was good. Hey, I think that there's very couple of quick points you need to consider from that regard. I'm really glad that you said post-COVID because I would say that it's certainly tougher at the moment. But most importantly, during COVID, what are you doing to make that transition? I think that's the key point I want to get across is that it's great that you want to do that. But what have you been doing? What online courses have you been doing? What sort of uh, programs have you been learning that you don't have to necessarily go out and spend $10,000 on a master's degree? There are lots of great courses that you should be doing right now when if you've either got downtime or working from home. And I would highly encourage up until that point that you should be tooling up to Felipe's point earlier on. What makes you different? It's all very well to say that you want to move into data science. But what have you personally been doing to demonstrate that? If you do have the time and the inclination, obviously, postgrads are going to help you. The number one thing I'll say to you is think about what you are currently doing. So in Cameron's case, digital marketing. So maybe go and learn Google Analytics, maybe do an Adobe course, and actually maybe transition into a data-driven digital marketing team that has a data science team. It doesn't necessarily yeah. always have to be, this is who I am, and this is where I want to get. Sometimes there are stepping stones to that. And you've got to think strategically, okay, I'm a digital marketer. 
let's become an additional analytics specialist, move to data scientists, right? And make sure you're picking the company that's going to maybe give you that path. Agreed. And if you have experience in something like marketing, add analytics and say, you know, what would I have to learn to do marketing analytics? And that can be some Tableau, some SQL. And with Tableau, SQL, and Excel, you might be able to create really interesting insights, really interesting reports. And if you do that in a proactive way as part of your job, you'd be moving closer to a data science role. So you're obviously learning, as Stu said, and then applying your learning to make a difference in the, in the organization. Yeah, bang on. But I think that also uh, that also applies very quickly to specifically in sort of engineering and BI backgrounds. You are probably in an environment where there are that data science element in your company. So I'd also encourage you to build bridges with those teams as well. What projects can you be working on with those guys? How can you get as much exposure to the area you want to be in your current company? Because that is going to give you a great understanding of whether or not A, it's what you want to do and B, what it takes to be in that type of role as well. People are asking most valuable thing that people can do over a three, four month period, short of going back to university to improve value of resume, specific certification, creating a portfolio, some of the themes that we already touched on. Yeah, look, there's a whole heap out there. You've got Coursera, you've got on the digital side, there's lots of digital analytics certifications you can take. I think Harvard Business School also do some a couple of short courses as well. Maybe, Felipe, you've got a few options on that one as well. But there's with a short Google search, there's heaps out there. Yeah, agreed. The only other one I'd throw in is a Udacity Nano degree, which are helpful, but definitely apply, apply everything that you learn and focus on applying more than learning. Next question, what is one book that you recommend for a data science amateur to read so they can get up to speed in data science? Um, Wait about 12 months, you reckon? <laughs> yeah, there's... um. One that I really like is called Hands-On ML, and it covers Scikit-Learn, Keras, and TensorFlow. Good book. It's a long slog, but if you get through it, you'll do really well. Any... Very quickly, there's also a book, I forget the title, but um, don't just think about the technical skills. There are books in regards to how to engage with executives and commercials, how to be a better, you know, deal with better stakeholders. Those types of books are just as important. I can't tell you enough. If you are just a technical resource, it, it's never going to work. You need to get the other side to you as well. There's plenty of material out there to help you learn about that as well. Awesome. Really important point. So we got about five minutes left. We'll do maybe two other questions. Is okay. uh, Next one is, what skill sets do organizations look for into the graduates that are hiring yeah. in the data science and analytics space? Uh, soft Often skills. Covered? Yep. Soft skills, cultural fit. I mean, you've got to remember that you're up against a whole heap of people that have similar degrees to you, similar internships, similar technical skills. It's going to be your ability to to communicate. It's going to be your ability to interact with people. It's not about language proficiency. I want to make that very clear. If you look, you know, Felipe, English is second language and he's barely grasped it, right? So it's one of those things where it's about understanding data and being able to communicate the value. One of the things that, again, Felipe is always really hot on is that it's the how, so, so, what part of things. It's actually, what's the point of what you're doing and can you communicate the value of your work? So communication skills are the only thing at this level that they're going to be assessing, really. Great. Next question. A key aspect of finding senior roles has traditionally been through networking, which yep. is harder in the current environment. How do you recommend going about finding a next role for a senior person? 
Yeah, it's a very good question. I think that at the moment, certainly from my experience, senior movement isn't as busy as it once was. And you've also got to think that of bringing senior people into a COVID-19 environment, i.e. a remote environment, for some companies is not preferred at all. Now that we've got a timeline in place of when we're going to start coming to this, I, I think it's only a matter of weeks until you're going to start to see more and more senior roles, but find, and not just one, but find maybe a few, as you said, leaders, recruiters, internal recruiters. Don't be afraid to call someone in internal recruitment in a big company and find out what's happening there, right? It's used different outlets, but I can honestly say right now it's going to be relatively quiet, but you need to not just rely on your network. You need to expand your network, maybe through a recruiter, maybe through someone at the data science meetup and ask them what's going on. Agreed. Really good. Some of the other questions that are left, we have mostly covered, maybe with the exception of, there's a couple of questions around, are PhDs preferable in data science? Uh, Sometimes I have strong views there. Uh, um, I do. Like, do you want to go first? I think that if you've got a PhD, great. I think that's fine if you've got one. I think that the problem with the PhD sometimes is that it hones your experience into a specific area. And if what you want to do is go into research or, for instance, we take healthcare and you've got that background and it's specifically geared up to it, I think it's a real positive. I don't think having a PhD is necessarily negative. But I'll take a graduate with a bachelor's who can communicate and who can add value with stakeholders and build relationships and have that about them over a PhD that can't any day. Would not agree more. Yeah, from my view, do you need a PhD to be a data scientist? No. Do people prefer PhDs? Generally not, not in business, not in my experience. What you need to do is be competent in the skills, so show that you can do the work and have the soft skills. And that, if you have some domain expertise, like if you've done, for example, like a bioinformatics degree or master's, and then you want to work in healthcare or biology, then great, because then you have some domain expertise, but the domain expertise is not 100% crucial, uh, especially in the entry-level roles. But PhDs are helpful, but not a must. Great. Stu, amazing advice, man. Uh, Super, super helpful. I wish that I had this advice uh, when I was coming up looking for jobs. I hope that people have enjoyed it. We had at one point 250 people as part of the webinar. Thank you so much, Stu, for sharing your tips and helping people maybe have a different mindset in terms of how they approach their their recruitment, their career, their job prospects down the road. Super, super valuable. Any any, uh, final thoughts, mate? No, no, thank you so much to yourself and being a great supporter and um, yourself and Phil and you, Val, for um, you know, inviting me over to do this. I've really enjoyed it. I think it's a real interesting time. I guess my final thoughts are that to a lot of you, it might seem like things are relatively negative and the market isn't necessarily doing what you want it to do. You are in an industry that is, of all industries, best equipped to deal with this and best equipped to deal with a recession that's coming. You've picked wisely. Things will get better. There are going to be opportunities. Align yourself with the right people and you'll be fine. I just want to leave this that their positivity is returning and the market is even now getting so much better. So um, no, thanks for having me, guys. And hopefully it was of some use. 100%. Thank you so much, guys. We'll have another webinar out through Data Science Melbourne in a couple of weeks. Hope to see you then. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Bye. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram as datafuturology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. 
If you liked this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.